25 seconds left to play. You're listening to the Matt Wyatt Show. I want winners. This crowd is alive. Play to win the game. Wyatt from the shotgun, two backs alongside. Knock him out, John. Wyatt gets the ball. It won't be long. Wyatt back to throw. Wyatt looks. Fires toward the end zone. Passes. Caught for touchdown by Matthew Butler. Speak to They are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. I get out of hand. Just, just tell me I'm a jerk and shut up. Let's go scatter the West right tight. That's left. 372 Y sticks in The Matt Wyatt Show. He's Radio Wyatt. Well, how am I going to go to college? I'll just play football. And just like that, hour number two of the show just started. I'm Matt in the mobile Farm Bureau studio. Farm Bureau, go with the home team. Your hometown heroes are your local Farm Bureau insurance agents across the great state of Mississippi. And I stay connected to you on social media around the clock. Kind of almost, kind of sort of 24 hours a day. Thanks to C Spire, the number one network in Mississippi, wherever I go, whether I'm in the studio or in the car or driving up and down the road and uh, you call me, you know, or maybe we go somewhere to a ball game and do a little uh, live preview from the press box. Well, all that stuff is because of the number one network in Mississippi, C Spire, where they are customer inspired you can check them out at cspire.com coming up here in this hour we um, are going to get into the life and legacy of johnny majors former tennessee coach former pittsburgh coach you know he won a national championship at pittsburgh and then went to tennessee where he won three sec championships did not coach tennessee to a national championship but not long after he was done at tennessee they won one in the late 90s, he was uh, finished coaching there in the early 90s. But he died uh, today in Knoxville, Tennessee, here on June the 3rd. Um, passed away at the age of 85. And we're going to talk a little bit about him and his legacy, his life, with my friend, broadcast partner, Neil Price. He is Hale State Voice on Twitter. Uh, you all follow him. He's also on Instagram. Neil's an excellent broadcaster himself and play-by-play announcer. But kind of grew up in East Tennessee, so obviously knows a lot about that life and legacy of Johnny Majors. He was growing up on uh, Tennessee football when, when Coach Majors was coaching there. I've got some memories as well. Got to meet him a couple times. He was really close with Coach Jackie Sherrill, who I played for at Mississippi State. They both had been coaches at the University of Pittsburgh and then coached against each other uh, for a couple of years in the SEC. And anyway, um, Coach Sherrill used to bring – Coach Majors to visit us uh, at at times in the off season in the nineties, and he would speak to our team from time to time. And he was always a gentleman. And we'll get into some of that. That's all coming up. Now this hour, no different than any other hour on this show. You can text me and call me. Text me on the country pleasing text line. Country pleasing sausage on grocery store shelves throughout the southeast. It is 885-ESPN. That's the number to text. Now, don't text me if you're driving. That's dangerous. Otherwise, text away. 601 number. Plug it into the contacts in your phone. Country please and text line. 885-ESPN. Green okra. What do you tell me here? It usually takes five days to show coronavirus symptoms. Okay. So, you know, 
you could say we're asymptomatic, but if you just got it, maybe you haven't had time yet to show symptoms. Rhett says, my sister's kid has hair on the back of her neck. Looks like, what does it say? Looks like she's, I can't understand this. What does it have to do with her being smart, though, Rhett? That's what I want to know. You say, we were talking about people having to shave the back of their back, not the back of their neck. I think everybody has to shave the back of their neck, (laughs) unless you're just going to let your hair grow and cover all that up. But what does that have to do with being smart? I don't know. Um, Tip said, from what I have read, it may take up to a week to show up on a test, but I'm no expert. I've just stayed at a Holiday Inn. (laughs) You stayed at a Holiday Inn Express, huh? Are those commercials still going, or are they just something that we all hung on to? In regards to the fishing tips for muddy water and for clear water, Nick said, all you need is a frog and a Zebco 33. Yeah, I mean, you can't. The Zebco 33 uh, reel, push-button reel, fishing reel, has caught more fish, grand total, than all the other fishing reels put together. The Zebco 33. It is the iconic reel, right, for kids of all ages, so to speak. And and that's right. You know, uh, you're going to need a pretty decent pound test. And put one of those top water frogs on the other end of it and just have a good time. Well, it's too hot and too muddy. Well, get up and go at daylight. Your chances will be better. That's my advice. Many a fish caught on top water frogs. Yeah, so we're covering it all, man. We are covering it all. We're about to cover several conferences and several decades of college football spanning the life of the uh, great and now late great Johnny Majors, uh, former Coach at Tennessee, former coach at Pittsburgh, uh, finished, I think, second one year in the Heisman voting. He was a great player at Tennessee in the 1950s. Let's talk about the life and legacy of Coach Johnny Majors, who passed away today. Let's do that now with Neil Price. He is the play-by-play announcer at Mississippi State. You all know him as Hale State Voice on Twitter and Instagram. But uh, grew up as a young whippersnapper up in East Tennessee. Knows all about that life and legacy of Johnny Majors. Neil, good to talk to you, man. Appreciate a little bit of time today. I'm sure that for, for a Tennessean, that news today of Coach Majors, probably a punch in the gut, am I right? Yeah, uh, you know, and I was listening to some stuff in, uh, on Knoxville Radio early this morning, and they had Bob Kessling on, who's, you know, friend of mine, mentor for many years, and you know, Bob it, it was very close uh, with Coach Majors and it covered him, you know, obviously when he was working at Channel 10 and Coach Majors was coaching at Tennessee. And he said when, when people get older, you always kind of have it in the back of your mind that, you know, they, they may not be with us much longer. He said it still doesn't make it any easier when, when their passing finally does come. And I think that's how a lot of people back home probably feel today. And, you know, Johnny Majors is the guy that, not only was he a, a fantastic coach, he won a national championship at Pitt. Uh, he left when he was coming off of that championship and had a good team coming back to go be the coach at Tennessee where he played. And I think the thing that's lost maybe on a younger generation is that Johnny Majors was a fantastic player. I mean, there aren't many guys that are, there aren't many guys in the coaching profession that have been that combination of great player 
and then also great coach. I think you brought that up on your show one day last week that I heard you were talking about some of those guys. But Johnny Majors was both. I mean, he's in the College Football Hall of Fame as a player, was a single-wing tailback, and had it not been for Paul Horning, he probably would have won the Heisman Trophy. And a lot of people still think he deserved to win the Heisman Trophy uh, in, in the 50s. So, you know, sure. just a, a real legend, and not only there, but he's, he's a legend in, across college football. Uh, Neil, I saw where Tony Barnhart sent this tweet out today. You mentioned as a football player in the 50s, Johnny Majors, great player, Heisman, you know, a candidate. What Tony Barnhart sent out there, uh, according to old reports, Johnny Majors, who finished second to Paul Horning, 1956 in the Heisman, was often asked who should have won the award. Yep. And his response was always, quote, Jim Brown. And yeah. I didn't know this, but Brown finished fifth in the Heisman voting that year behind Horning, Majors, Tommy McDonald, and Jerry Tubbs. How about that? Yeah, I mean, you're talking about an era where there were a lot of really, really good players and Johnny Majors did a little bit of everything as a player. I told you he's a single-wing tailback. So, you know, he, he's basically a hybrid of two positions. He was also a very good punter, uh, you know, and, and, and he was in football from from the time, literally, that his, he was born. His dad, Shirley, was a great coach at Huntland High School in Middle Tennessee, and that's where Coach Majors played uh, his high school football he was undersized as a college player, even in that day and age in the 50s, uh, but made it to Tennessee uh, and, you know, got there at a time when, when General Nealon was either right at the end of his career or had just retired from coaching football. Mm-hmm. And I heard him tell a story many times about, uh, you know, one of the early days at practice when he'd arrived on campus, he had made an impression because he went out and he worked hard and he, he kind of upstaged some of the older guys, the upperclassmen on the team. And General Nealon was sitting in the stands watching practice and yelled down to see who this young guy was who was out here taking it to the older guys. And he said, you know, it's Majors from Huntland, sir. And uh, he said, I can remember running to the drugstore on the corner of Cumberland Avenue and calling my dad saying General Nealon recognized me at practice today. He knew who I was and uh, talking about how that was such a big deal for him. Um, You know, Joe Moorhead told me a story on a Thursday night uh, before a dog talk. Um, He was running a couple minutes late and he said, I'm sorry I'm late. He said, but you're never going to believe this. He said, in my office today, he said, I had uh, Coach Cheryl, Walt Harris and Johnny Majors. And they stayed in there and they came to practice. And I thought, my goodness, could you imagine the conversation? And I know you <laughs> played for Coach Cheryl, and Coach Cheryl is one of my favorite people that I've met since I've been at Mississippi State. Uh, and it's, it's really, really something uh, to think of all that knowledge in that room. And of course, well, you know, I think a lot of state people who've been around a long time know Johnny Majors had a tie here too. He was assistant coach at state for three years in the early sixties when he was getting his coaching career started before he wound up eventually going on to be the head coach at Iowa state. And then later at Pitt and then at Tennessee and then at Pitt again, uh, you know, but, uh, 
he was a guy, and I tweeted this this morning. Uh, he and Pat Dye have passed within just a few days of one another. And those were guys taking nothing away from the great minds that are coaching football in this league now, and there are some real good ones. Um, but those guys had personality. They had wit. Uh, they had a genuine quality to them uh, that maybe you don't see as much today. And I don't know if it's because there's so much more of a media demand and these guys who coach today are, are always under the microscope. But I can remember seeing press conferences when people were mad in Knoxville that Johnny Major was going to the Liberty Bowl. And, man, I mean, he just snapped right back, and then he grinned. You know, I mean, just I don't have time for that kind of negativity. If people don't want to buy a ticket to come watch a game, they can watch it on TV. Or they can do whatever else they want. You know, it's a free country. Uh-huh. You know, yeah. and that was kind of how it was, you know. Uh, yeah. But he, he is certainly one of the great characters, great coaches, and great players in the history of the league. No doubt about it. Neil Price on your radio right now. He is at Hale State Voice, Mississippi State play-by-play announcer. Talking about the guy who was coaching the Tennessee Volunteers for about 15 years from the late 70s to the early 90s when Neil was growing up in Tennessee. He had three SEC championship teams at Tennessee, uh, 85, 89, and in 90. And then some things started happening. I, I didn't know exactly how to get started on this. I don't want anything to, on the day that he's passed to turn negative in talking about Johnny Majors. But I think if we talk about his life and legacy, Neil, I, you know, it, it all, there was always, for me, outside the state of Tennessee, some ambiguity as to what really went on. I know he had some health issues in the early 90s and stepped away from the team for a little while. And then the next thing you know, Philip Fulmer's a coach. You know, um, how do you, as a Tennessean, remember all that as it relates to the the legacy of Johnny Majors as the coach at Tennessee? Well, I was very young when all of that happened. So I would have been 12, mm-hmm. 12 years old, I guess. And Coach Majors had some heart issues. And I remember he had to take some time off during the season. The season had not started well. Uh, I think this was '92. Yeah, uh, the was. season had not. Yeah, the season had not started well, and Coach Majors has to take some time. Eventually, has to have surgery, and um, Coach Fulmer uh, was the offensive coordinator, uh, and he's the interim head coach at this point. And as he takes the reins, the season turns in a positive way. And I think that people in the fan base, they probably thought that Tennessee was underachieving, um, maybe that Coach Majors had lost his edge. Coach Fulmer was a younger guy at that point. He breathed some energy back into their program, and um, and obviously we saw what it resulted in, you know, you know, six years later. Uh, but right. he, uh, you know, it, it ultimately led to the administration making a change and coach major is simply saying, I- I'm just not going to do it this way. Uh, and, you know, I think it was sad for a lot of people, um, people who had been longtime fans, people like me, you know, we're so young. We didn't know any different. Johnny majors was Tennessee football. And, 
I, I talked to Bob this morning, and I told him, I said, you know, when somebody mentions the phrase Tennessee football, Johnny Majors is instantly the first person I think of. It's not any player. It's not anybody. I think of the guy in the trench coat and the and the big headset standing down there on the sideline. That's the guy I think of. And, uh, you know, it, it was a sad time. It ultimately turned into something good for their program, uh, but it created a, a big scar that took a long time to heal. And I think until, um, I think until probably Derek Dooley became the coach there that, you know, coach Majors stayed away and, and just wasn't a part of what was going on until coach Dooley and, you know, the coaches after got him back. Um, so, you know, it's, it's like, you know, I've heard people say sometimes even about the, the, the Mississippi State family. Sometimes, you know, just because your family doesn't mean you don't have disagreements. And <laughs> that was certainly one of the bigger ones in, in the Tennessee family. Yeah, no doubt about it. And that is, that's the way it is. You know, a lot of times, you know, your brother or brothers and sisters and sometimes mamas and daddies, they'll fight like cats and dogs with each other. But nobody else better mess with them, you know. No. And, uh, so that's very true. I was looking here at some of those years that he was the coach at Tennessee. And I know we haven't even touched on his national championship at Pitt, but just looking at Tennessee, he had those three SEC championship teams. And it struck me how I had forgotten, Neil, that in the 80s and and parts of the 90s, the early 90s, you could finish a game in a tie, right? So they won the the 1985 SEC championship, went 9-1-2, and one and two. They won the 1990 SEC championship, went 9-2-2. and two and two. There were some ties in there. I sure am glad we did away with the ties. <laughs> kind of like kissing your sister? Yeah, right. That's what they yeah. say. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and, I mean, there were times, too, when, you know, a, a tie was a good result. Even though, <laughs> right. you know, we're, we're sitting here talking about uh, – we're sitting here talking about how you know you're glad you've done away with it, but there were times when tie was a good result. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, I you know it's it's a different era, and I go back to the personalities and you know all of those things. You know the the wit, and you and I talked about this on road trips before. We sure have. Those guys in that era and the eras before, they'd sit down with the media and. You didn't have the coverage that you had today, obviously. But they'd sit down, they'd just have a conversation with you. And were very direct and honest. And I still think they probably were dealing with, with money and endorsement stuff that we can't imagine. Uh, they were still very comfortable in their livelihood. All yeah, those right. But at the same time, uh, it didn't feel like that the, the edge or the animosity maybe was there as much. And and I don't know all the factors that have contributed to that, but I have a lot of respect for that era because I think where you had people who were, for lack of a better term, people, people, if that, if that makes you <laughs> Right. That's right. You know, you think about the old – I think, you know, you're – conversation that i that you and i have had it was about you, know, you just look at media days what it used to be like when you know you had spurrier and stallings and majors and cheryl and brewer and these are the guys that are showing up every year for something like media days um no offense to the guys we have now but it's just not even anywhere near 
uh, the same type of entertainment value just on face value. But certainly Johnny Majors, we lose him. And I mentioned, you know, I didn't mention Pat Dye, but uh, we lose Johnny Majors uh, today. But certainly a legend. Neil, I appreciate you, man. Um, the time always goes by quickly. We've got to do it more often. Maybe now that we're inching back towards sports, maybe we can do it more often. You know, I was in town uh, yesterday, and I saw some of our guys back in town, and obviously they're getting back and getting ready to, if they haven't already, start going through the screening and, and all the things we got to do to make sure that everybody's healthy. But uh, it, it got me excited a little bit. It really did because it felt real maybe for the yeah. first time in a while. So, yeah, we're, we're getting there. we got a few more hurdles to cross, but – we're absolutely taking steps in the right direction about football, and that's something for all of us to be happy about. Hallelujah. That's right. And the choir said amen. All right, Neil. <laughs> appreciate you. Have a good one. We'll talk soon. Thank you. See you. See you, Matt. See you, man. That's Neil Price. Y'all follow him on Twitter and Instagram if you don't already. Mississippi State play-by-play announcer. Young guy in the business. Got a bright, bright future ahead of him. Uh, he is the real deal. We lose Johnny Majors today at the age of 85. National championship in Pittsburgh in 1976, coaching Tony Dorsett. Three SEC titles in the 80s, 90s at Tennessee. And one of the real gentlemen and characters and legends of college football. Cross the river today. Hats off to everybody in ball country on his behalf. Rolling along with you. Here in the Farm Bureau studio. Stick around. You're listening to The Matt Wyatt Show. Doggone if there isn't some trivia in here. How about this? Um, I, I was looking through the coaching tree of Johnny Majors. If you're just tuning in, we had the conversation just a second ago with my broadcast partner at Mississippi State, Neil Price, who grew up in the state of Tennessee. We're talking about the fact that former Tennessee coach Johnny Majors passed away today at the age of 85. There was a tweet earlier today, and I don't know who this is that sent it out, but I trusted it. I must have because I retweeted it. (laughs) I should have checked it first. But it just uh, said that it came from ESPN, this stat, that 33 assistant coaches under Johnny Majors went on to become head coaches. And the point is that he not only coached players, he was developing coaches as well. Yeah, so 33 former assistants went on to be head coaches. That is an incredible number when you're looking at his career. I think what got my attention is at the bottom of his bio there, it says coaching tree. The following assistant coaches under Johnny Majors became college or professional head coaches. It names them and then where they became the head coach. And the first name on the list is a guy named Lynn Amity. 
who was the head coach at UT Martin in 1980 and 81. Uh, Lynn Amity, it got my attention because I played for Lynn Amity. He was our offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach at Mississippi State in 96, 97, and in 98. Um, and so I saw the name. It drew my attention there. And I never did know. I, I did not realize that Coach Amity um, who was at State as an assistant. He was a punch corner to LSU for a lot of years and at Texas A&M for a lot of years. I didn't know that he had ever coached for Johnny Majors, let alone I didn't even know Coach Amity had been a head coach. <laughs> I had no idea until I saw that. There are a lot of names on here, though, that I recognize and that you obviously do too. But So David Cutcliffe at one point coached for Johnny Majors. We know Obviously, the coach cut became the head coach at Ole Miss from 98 to 04. Currently, the head coach at Duke got that job in 2008. Um, here's another. John Gruden. Yep. John Gruden. That John Gruden. Chucky. He was an assistant at one point under Johnny Majors. And we know he's been the head coach twice now of the Raiders and once their stint with the Buccaneers. Uh, lots of other names, but the one, uh, two that I said when I said trivia that sort of uh, jumped out at you a little bit. Jackie Sherrill, obviously a Johnny Major's assistant at one point at uh, I believe at Pittsburgh. You know, became the head coach um, at Mississippi State. Prior to that, was a head coach at Texas A&M. Prior to that, was the head coach following Johnny Major's at Pittsburgh. But I did not realize this. If this had come up in a trivia question today, and this is embarrassing, if this had come up in a trivia question today, I would not have known this. I'm sure I saw it at some point. I would not know this. Jackie Sherrill was the head coach at Washington State in 1976. And that's the year I was born. That tells you how long ago it was, 1976. But I did not remember. It, it had totally escaped me that Coach Sherrill was ever the head coach at Washington State, and let alone, I mean, it's just one year, 1976, but that means that now not one but two former Washington State head coaches went on to become head coaches at Mississippi State. So Jackie Sherrill and Mike Leach share that, and they know both know what it's like to be the head coach at Washington State. Somehow that bit of trivia had escaped me all these years. I think it would be really interesting to talk to both those guys uh, about their experiences up there in Pullman, Washington. Ron Zook, a former assistant under Johnny Majors, went on to become the Florida head coach, the Illinois head coach. Y'all remember the name Tommy West, don't you? Yeah. The Memphis head coach for the better part of a decade there, but before that, you know, he was the head coach at Clemson for about five years Tommy West was a player at Tennessee, an assistant at Tennessee under uh, Johnny Majors as well. But just that's just a, to name a few of those guys. Did y'all know that? Anybody out there listening realize that Jackie Sherrill had one point been the head coach at uh, Washington State? I just did not know it. That's really embarrassing. Uh, just a moment of honesty there for you. Um, here's a college football note for you now. It's about. The news is not brand new. I know it's been kicked around and studied just a little bit, but I like this move. 
uh, not that it matters, not one of my schools, but Navy and Notre Dame are not going to play their game this year in Ireland. They were going to play it in Dublin, Ireland. Navy versus Notre Dame. That's how they were going to play. I was at the season opener, I think, this year. And, yeah, they were going to open the season in Dublin, Ireland, which would be really cool. Notre Dame Navy over there. But because of the uh, coronavirus pandemic, they announced yesterday that that's not going to happen. And those two teams, uh, again, plan, as of right now, to kick off as normal start the season, except it will be in Annapolis, Maryland, at the Naval Academy. Okay? If I'm looking at it, I thought I saw this. Yeah, I did see this in a release yesterday. So it's the first time Notre Dame will have ever played a game at the Naval Academy. What do you call it? Uh, uh, yeah, the, the first time. So pretty cool. You know, a lot of people, if they if they had decided to keep that game in Ireland to start the season in 94 days, then you definitely would have had fans, especially those Notre Dame fans, traveling over there. There's no question about it. Um, so probably the smart thing for them to do is to uh, cancel that. I don't know if people in the States really fully understand it, the reach of that Notre Dame brand now, it's probably not quite what it was if you went back 20 years ago, but it's still there. You know, I would compare it not on the same level, but it's it's parallel. It's similar to, like, the Yankees, okay? If you were to go overseas, let's say you go to Great Britain, England, Germany, you know, anywhere, parts of Europe, you're going to find people who are aware of the New York Yankees, who... People that they don't play baseball over there. They don't have baseball. But they know what baseball is, and to them, baseball is the New York Yankees. And frankly, I know this for a fact 20 years ago. You could go to Europe. You could go to Germany and places, and you could mention American football. Just mention football, American football. And what those people, what those Europeans associated with the term American football were two things, the Dallas Cowboys and Notre Dame. Yes, that's just the way it was. Their, their marketability was just tremendous outside of the United States of America, which I didn't realize it until I was actually living in Hamburg, Germany, the year that I graduated college uh, which would have been, I graduated in May of 2000, and, and like two weeks before actual graduation, I got on a plane and I flew over there and lived there for a year. And in that time, uh, played for a you know, a professional team over there in Hamburg, Germany. And we had this one event that was for charity where we played a full-contact four-quarter football game in our stadium in Hamburg, Germany, with fans and everything against a Notre Dame alumni team. We sure did. Yeah, and we beat them, and we should have. (laughs) But, you know, it was some guys who hadn't been out of the game that long, some names you would recognize. Remember Tony Rice, who in the early 90s quarterbacked them to a national championship under Lou Holtz? He was on the team. 
Yeah, we played them in the big soccer stadium where we played our football games in Hamburg. Right now, I think I'm pronouncing this right, but right now, like if you turn on over there on Fox and on the weekends and every now and then you catch the, what is it called, Bundesliga, <laughs> the, the German soccer stuff. If it's a game in Hamburg, that's the stadium they're playing in. You'll see what I'm talking about. It seats like 60,000 people, and it's got the big awnings that stretch out over parts of the stands and everything. And we would have football games in there of, you know, sometimes 15, 20,000 people that have pretty decent crowds. Well, we had this charity deal where we played an actual game against the Notre Dame alumni team. Uh, there were like 40,000 people there to watch this, and it was strictly because – to them, it was Notre Dame out there on the field. That's what they knew. And, uh, you know, it's it's such a shame that here now, 20 years after that, I have such vague memories of it. I only have like a couple of plays from the game that I can remember. I may have thrown a t- – I think it seems like I threw maybe two touchdowns in the ball game, something like that. Um, but – that's about all I remember, and I don't even remember those two specifically, but that is that actually did happen. But, you know, we kind of here in our neck of the woods, we look at it and we kind of, you know, smirk and wag our finger like, come on, man, you're going to Ireland to play a game. Just play it in your stadium in South Bend or whatever. But I think we, we probably ought to understand that there there is a tremendous – reach for that Notre Dame brand and I think it still stands today overseas and other college football programs just don't have that Uh, but it certainly goes way way back but in this case you can definitely understand why they move the game back uh, and and avoid all the overseas travel and the flying and all that kind of stuff go ahead and pre preempt all of that save it for another day okay as promised coming up we'll do 100 teams in 100 days, team number 94 of our countdown, coming up next to wrap us up. Stick around. Teams countdown. Today is team number 94. We're going to get to that in just a sec or two. First, though, I'm going to give you a couple of news stories. If you're out and about today, maybe you're in your vehicle riding around, maybe listening online, and uh, this could be your first opportunity to learn this. I'll give you a couple of stories. I think you're going to hear some more uh, things about Coming up here. Oh, all right. So first, NFL stuff here in the Farm Bureau studio. Farm Bureau, go with the home team. They are your home team at Farm Bureau. Dallas Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott has pledged $1 million um, in a statement on Instagram to, quote, improve police training and address systematic racism through education and advocacy in our country. Prescott's Instagram post First comments that he's put out there on social media regarding the George Floyd uh, murder uh, by police in Minneapolis. Uh, I called it that. I'm not reading that. I called it that. Uh, the A couple of the quotes from what Dak put out there. It's actually like a four-page uh, release and, and leading up to the fact that he's donating a million dollars towards advocacy and police training. Uh, 
he says, as our communities take action, protesting and fighting for the justice of George in every black life, I am with you. Um, he went on to say in the statement that he does not support uh, destroying or damaging uh, property or people, but he is for education on race issues. And um, you can read more about that. One of the quotes was, he and I shared the same mission, find a bigger purpose. As I process the passing of my brother, he talked about, I've come to realize we are not given a voice to pronounce how much we matter. And so um, Prescott uh, joining the movement and donating a lot of money uh, on the bottom line towards the cause and in the way that he feels that it is necessary. You're going to hear more and more about that. Another story in regards to the NFL, you're going to hear a lot about it. If you're a national sports radio uh, listener, just get ready. Uh, there will be talk about this. But, you know, speaking of the Cowboys, how the Cowboys always have training camp in Oxnard, California, right? I've always thought that's odd, but Whatever. They can do what they want. Jerry Jones, master marketer, he knows what he's doing. Yeah, the Cowboys always leave Dallas, leave Frisco. They go have training camp uh, in Oxnard, California. They're not doing that this year. No NFL teams are going to be going off-site. You know, the Saints in the past have moved their training camp around. They went up to the Green – was it the Greenbrier? Is that the name of it? Up in West Virginia. Uh, they've been to Jackson, the Jackson area for the training camp before. The NFL yesterday told teams um, that they are required to have training camps at their facilities where they, you know, or at home and not move them around. It actually, I think there was, you know, two different adjustments for how they want teams to have their training camps, trying to minimize the spread. They sent it to all 32 teams. Um, I think it's just two-part, basically. Like, don't leave and go somewhere for training camp. Do it at your facility, at your home team facilities. And the other thing is don't have joint practices. So, you know, these early training camp deals where we see, like, you know, the Vikings and, the, you know, I don't know, the Steelers having a big fight because they're having joint practices. We're not going to see any of that. They're just going to scrimmage each other. So it'll be teammates fighting. Anyway, a couple of NFL stories for you there uh, as we get ready to wrap up. All right, let's do it. We started last week a countdown of 100 college football teams in 100 days leading up to the start of the season on September the 5th. Today we are 94 days from September the 5th, so team number 94 on the countdown. Let's do it. It's the final countdown. 100 teams. 100 days. All right. Team number 94, think about where it is on the list. And if I say Miami, which Miami is it? <laughs> yeah, it's not the Hurricanes. The Hurricanes aren't number 94 on the list. They'll be a little higher up there on the list. How much higher, I don't know. This one is uh, Miami of Ohio from the MAC. Now let's see if the MAC has a full schedule. We already know they're going to. We got word this summer that because of the pandemic, they're going to cut down on the size of the rosters and cut down on the size of the travel rosters in the MAC and everything. But as far as I know, Miami of Ohio and the other teams from the MAC are still planning on having football this fall. Just uh, you know, cutting a few costs here and there. Here's what you need to know about them. 
last year they go eight and six. They were six and two in their division. They go eight and six overall. Uh, their head coach Chuck Martin is in his seventh year. Actually has a losing record overall, thirty and forty-seven. But they've been better here uh, as of late. Pretty decent on offense. Yeah, I mean it. it pretty decent. They're kind of up and down. They did not have a consistent running game. They threw it a good bit at uh, Miami, Ohio last year. Quarterback's back. He can throw it. He can, you know, throw the football. And they have had quarterbacks, certainly, who can throw it. Like one notable alumni would be who, um, Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah. Yeah, he was a freshman last year. This kid, uh, Brett Gabbert, a freshman. He cut it loose, 55% completions as a freshman, 2,400 yards, 11 TDs, only threw eight picks. So he was plus in the touchdown interception, but he's a true freshman, so he'll be better this year. Got a little competition in there also. They're pretty salty on defense, though. That's how they won eight games is they they were really solid and, and athletic on the defensive side of the ball. Again, you mentioned playing in the MAC, but they're going to start off with an ACC team this year. So in 94 days from today, Miami of Ohio will kick the season off at Pittsburgh, at Pitt. Um, They have Arkansas Pine Bluff on the schedule, and they get Cincinnati out of the AAC. They have Army on the schedule, independent as far as their conference schedule this year for Miami of Ohio. Uh, Let's see, nothing really stands out, but it's just, you know, the MAC. It's the MAC schedule. You can guarantee yourself you're going to see them on some Tuesday nights at some point. In fact, let's see. Yeah, they already have two November games that are Tuesday night games because they play in the MAC. So it's Miami at Buffalo on Tuesday night, November the 10th. And the next week on November 17th, Tuesday night, they host Kent State. Yeah. And they'll finish the season against Eastern Michigan on a Friday night. So. You know, if you play in the MAC, it's Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and Friday nights, and it's just all of those teams in that conference do that. And so that's your team number 94 on the countdown. Tomorrow being Thursday, team number 93. On Friday, we will do teams number 91 and 92. We'll, we'll get two teams, and then we'll get two teams on Monday and continue the countdown as we get closer and closer to getting inside Look, y'all, we are a week away from being inside of three months to the start of the college football season. That's how close we'll be getting. Now, don't ask me yet about SEC media days in July. Okay, I had a conversation with somebody here in Vicksburg yesterday about that. And the fact is, I'm not hopeful at all that there's going to be a full-on SEC media days for four straight days in Atlanta, like we talked about. Number one, they moved it from Hoover to Atlanta for this year, and the College Football Hall of Fame hosts SEC media days, and it's all bashed in and busted up. They said they got some memorabilia. They didn't get to the inside of it, just the outer part, and they took stuff out of the gift shop. But, I mean, they're going to have to put all new glass into the College Football Hall of Fame because of the riots that, happened in Atlanta. Uh, so that's that's one thing. But the other thing is, you know, a gathering in July. We're still at a point right now here in June where we're talking about, okay, are you going to open up your entire football stadium to a big gathering? And if you're having, having some kind of big gathering, how are you going to protect yourself? Is it going to be masks? 
how you're going to still do the social distancing. And we're figuring all that stuff out still. I don't see a, a scenario where it just makes a whole lot of sense for a non-essential event like SEC Media Days in July where they say, ah, sure, come on. You know, 200 media people, put them all in the same room asking questions with coaches and players sitting up there. They, they just – it's a long, long shot that it happens that way. They will do something virtual. And let's be honest, what has SEC Media Day sort of become anyway? It's become a television event anyway, right? So they're still going to be able to do it. Like the NFL Draft did all their stuff virtually. We may see, quote, SEC Media Days at that same time in July, but it'll be a